Oh, come on, give the Lord another hand clap. He is good. Wow. Man, what a privilege to be here with you. Um, I love you. I love your church. I love your pastor. Let's give Brother Clay a hand clap at his wife. Aren't they great? <laughs> Brother Jeremy, all those that serve here, minister, I, I, I believe in what you're doing. And before we even talk about parenting, let me just kind of prophesy what I see, okay? You'll stay and get equipped and taught. I really believe you're going to be affecting all of Eastern Kentucky. I really feel that you'll be raising up men and women of God, seeing church plants, and penetrate Eastern Kentucky with the life-changing freedom that you have here. And yet they don't need religion. They need relationship. And you carry that. And so really hear that. Uh, you're being equipped to transform the area, keep work going forward. And so I just love what you're doing. I love where you're going. And I love what's going to take place. My wife sends her love. We have made transition. I started our church when I was 32, moved from Louisiana, sent out with covering and blessing, pastored it 32 years. But at the same time, something isn't significant unless it has successors. It, it has heritage. And all my children in ministry, but they're in different locations and was able to raise up a spiritual son and take about a two-and-a-half-year process in this transition. He's doing a great job, which frees me up now to go around and be a blessing more and, and uh, just encourage pastors. I, I love pastors. I love churches. And if I have anything in me, whatever that might be, if I can help someone else, it just makes me feel fulfilled. If you help a pastor, you help a whole church, right? And so that, that's really my heart and my vision. So I do love this church and your pastor and what y'all are doing. I'm going to speak on something today I've entitled From Tired to Wired Parenting. Now, did everybody get a handout, uh, at least one per couple? Did we run out? Did we have enough greeters? Were we able to get everybody? If you need one, raise your hand. If you didn't get one, if you need it, everybody got that? Don't read it now. Just hold on to it. <laughs> Come on. But... Um, let me, let me pray before we start and, and just ask God to help make sense out of everything I put on the paper, okay? Come on. Father, we thank you, Lord, for every parent or person that will be married or be a parent one day and grandparent and aunt and uncle. But Father, all of us affect families. All of us are part of a family. All of us are part of the body of Christ here. That's family. And we need tools and insights so the upcoming generation carries the values <clears throat> and the truth that we walk in, that you deposit in us, so they can stand on our spiritual shoulders and go further. So we agree for that. We agree for everybody in this room to stand on the, the shoulders of the leadership here and take that deposit and, and take it further in the days and weeks, years ahead. So we're grateful for it in Jesus' name. So I brought up books and all kind of stuff. From Tired to Wired Parenting, and by wired, I don't mean caffeine, although that does help, and every parent says, you know, I mean, I call, I call coffee my motivational gift. It's a gift to me in the morning that motivates me, so if anybody relate, come on, let me hear a hand clap, but what I did, if you better be wired, <laughs> if you're going to get this right with parenting, you need a lot of information, and you need a surge protector. It's called the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? Yeah. Um, parenting is not for the sissies. <laughs> it's not. And what you face now is totally different than what it was when I raised my children. It's even more of a challenge. More of obstacles come your way. It's such a privileged responsibility for parents. Single parents, I honor you. I respect you. Can we give every single parent a hand clap in the room? Wow. And where you're lacking, this is what the family's for. This is what the body of Christ is, to help one another and be a part. We actually, through our child raising, would bring in often a, a child from a single parent. Let them live with us for a while. I mean... We raised all kind of kids. I actually, oh, help me, Lord. I, I brought a street kid home one time. 
I did, showed up at church. Nowhere to go. He slept. It was winter. He slept outside the front door. I said, where are you going? I, I don't know. I got kicked out. Why? Because my mom's boyfriend beat up my little sister, and I stepped in, and they kicked me out. You face that type of stuff. I said, come on home. He lived with us for six months. <laughs> okay, so you're going to be involved in all kind of aspects in child raising, and it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Everything I share today, it's going to have to be very intentional. If you're going to be successful, it is intentional. It takes a lot of work. So let me just give a little bit of scripture before I break in, go into some real practical areas. In number six, you can read about the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was for anyone of, in Israel who wanted to separate their life or see their child separated in life for God. You notice in the Old Testament and even part of the New Testament, children who were dedicated to God as a Nazarite at infancy developed great spiritual strength or insight. Now, we know in the New Testament, we don't do the Nazarite vow, and everybody says, amen. That's weak, but all right, let you slide. You're checking me out. Make sure I'm normal. Okay. But it's a spiritual concept a spiritual concept the Lord is raising up. Children that are Nazarite in spirit unto him. Amos 2 verse 11 tells us this. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? Ask the Lord. So with this one verse here, I want you to understand identity. Help your child discover God's identity for them. He said he chose some to be this, some to be that. It's not what you want them to become. It's quiet in here today. <laughs> what has God called them to become? What has he ordained for them to become? So it's a responsibility. He's telling, telling us it's a special place before him and we dedicate our children if we raise them accordingly. Dedicating your children to the Lord is very important, and thank God, I'm sure you probably do that in a service, infants or babies and so forth, but my goodness, really, what it is, we're tricking the parents right there, <laughs> and we're saying, this is your responsibility to raise this child. It's your responsibility to bring direction and insight, and every child is so different. Every personality is so different, and it's exciting, but you need the Lord's help. Now, I'm thinking of three mothers, two in the Old Testament, one in Luke, who had no children, and they said, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him as a Nazarite from birth. Samson's mother did that. That's why he never cut his hair. When he did, he lost his strength. Plus, he went off in error, so we want our children to stay on course. Samuel's mother, Hannah, did that, and Samuel lived in the tabernacle from a child, never backslid, stayed faithful. John the Baptist, his mom Elizabeth, and so forth, and they did that as an Ezraite vow for their son. It's so important. So God has called us not to raise wild, uncontrolled children, but he's called us to raise warriors for him, a warrior for him. It doesn't mean you have to be in ministry or be a a preacher, as they say in some a preacher, you're the preacher. I go, no, no, we all preach, okay? I'm not a preacher. I'm a pastor. But all your children, no matter what they're supposed to do, no matter what their identity is in God, they're all supposed to be a warrior for him. So this is some of the verses here. I'll show you in Luke real quick. Luke 1, 13. The angel said to him, to John's father, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. For he will be great before the Lord. The child isn't born yet, isn't here. He's going to be great. Must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. God knows the child in the womb. There's sanctity of life, and everybody says. This is a beautiful promise that you can believe, God, your children are even receiving the blessing of the Lord in the womb. Be praying over any expectant mother in that regard. Verse 16, he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So when we dedicate our children to the Lord, and then we cooperate with that dedication, we're believing they're going to be soul winning. Come on. 
disciple-making, devil-chasing, sick-healing believers, no matter what they do in life or an occupation and so forth. Verse 17, he'll go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let me tell you what major revival is. It's when parents get their priorities right. Get their priorities right. Their individual priorities right and then understand the priorities necessary to raise warriors for God. I know every profession and direction is important and it is. You've got to provide for your family. You've got to bring in the income. I get it and it's so, so important. But those children, those grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, ones you're mentoring here in the house of God, come on. If you'll focus on them, verse 17 can come to pass that we just read, turning the hearts of fathers to children and so forth, so that God's purpose and plan is being accomplished. It's not just what God does through you. It's what God does through your seed. Your seed, literal seed, spiritual seed. What is he doing? What are you believing for? Or am I self-consumed with my life and my need and my little pain and hurt? Or like, okay, God, you're healing me and touch me because it's not about me. It's about others. And I need to be focused on that to see that take place. I believe the Lord is raising up an Elijah generation just like John the Baptist that was raised in the spirit and power of Elijah before the first coming of the Lord. There will be an Elijah generation stirring up before the second coming or before the Lord takes us home. Why not let it be some of your children, your grandchildren, the things of God? So you're raising up the warriors in the hands of the Lord, and they're going to chase the enemy away from Manchester, Kentucky, in Jesus' name. Okay? You know, I love it now, my age and so forth. Not only my children, I've got spiritual children scattered all over. We, we had them share Wednesday night. I'm sending out a spiritual son and his wife and their three little ones. When he came in about, who, 11 years ago and got saved in his late teens, he didn't, he didn't know the New Testament from the Old Testament. He just knew he needed God. And he brought his girlfriend in, and she got saved, and they felt maybe a call to ministry. Got them married. We knew they needed to leave because of all their family dynamics. It was crazy. They picked a Bible school. They went, got equipped. Eventually came back, our youth pastors for a while, went back to school for missions. We're sending them out to Beirut, Lebanon. They're helping to plant a Bible school, and they just planted a church. Come on, that's a spiritual son. I, I just got back from Egypt. One of my spiritual sons and his wife, he was a drug dealer, okay? Not just user, dealer. He robbed his dad's pharmacy. How many know that ain't too smart? Got arrested at 19 years of age. He was uh, expecting a 20-year sentence. He's out on bail. Some of the mature teens at church brought him to church on a Wednesday night and really got saved, not jailhouse religion, but got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, delivered from all that. They held him accountable. They wouldn't let him out of their sight. And because we're a smaller community, I know we're bigger than Manchester, but the judge who I knew was aware of this transformation in his life, started sending spies around to watch him. So when he went up for sentencing, the judge looked at him, and I can't use the vernacular, we're in church, but looked at him and said, get out of here. I never want to see you in here again. Released him. Sent him to Bible school, met his wife, married them. He now runs a Bible school in Egypt. He has 800 students. We helped him purchase the fifth denomination ever in the history of Egypt. Now, we're, it's not that we want a denomination, but it allows churches to function legally and not be infringed by the government. So I just got back. I'm working with pastors over there that are coming under his covering and helping them become family while he's teaching students. It's crazy. See, what, what do you see down the road? Do you just want to... Get by, you just hope Susie Q and Johnny Boy marry halfway decent? Or do you want to see them become world changers? What about the children that are being taught right now? How many of you, can you see them changing the world? 
See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm trying to give you vision. Vision for why you stay consistent. Why you, you just line upon line, precept upon precept. So it's, it's a lot of intentionality and on purpose. But here's the deal. Godly kids who know their purpose, it doesn't happen by accident. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. That phrase, train up a child, it literally means to shape like a topiary. Have you seen these plants or trees and they look like an elephant or, or you know, a giraffe? You know what I'm talking about? Well, they didn't just plant it and it grew like that. What did they have to do? Shape it. Clip. You know, put wire in there to help it grow in the right direction. They're beautiful to look at. It was a lot of work. So to train a child in the way they should go, it is a lot of work. The devil, he hates a child being trained, corrected, and self-controlled who's set on course. Now, I'm going to give you some points on how to raise children in a targeted way. How to just maybe be a, a spiritual parent. You're going to be drinking from a fire hydrant. Can you handle it? <laughs> Take notes. It's not going to all apply to you now. Maybe some of it in your past. I, I'm just telling you what we did, okay? Now, my wife and I say this all the time. We're not clever. We are just grateful. I am not a know-it-all. We made many a mistake. You will as well. We're just grateful. Grateful, grateful. Uh, three boys, three biological boys, but we also have raised other kids in our house. And they've all married well. We have a total of eight grandkids now. One is in heaven. Seven are here on earth. And we're at a wonderful stage of seeing what we did now multiply in their life. Now, I'm going to show you pictures to let you know it really is true. So bring up the first picture. Um, there it is. That's my wife. And she says, hello. Hello, Jeanette. Okay. <laughs> and she is at church because she's still over all the nursery stu stuff, just like Pastor Clay's wife does and, and all that. So she's there in intercession and, and all. So she's there. Sometimes she'll come with me, but she couldn't come today. Now, how many have ever, I'm dating myself, and it might just require older folks. Ever watch Bonanza? Okay, you got Adam, then you got cute little Joe, and they have Hoss, right? That's my three kids. They look nothing alike. Their personalities are almost like the ones on the show. So let's first bring up Adam, my oldest, and his wife. Bring them up. That's Andrew and his wife, Adrian, and their assistant pastor and worship leader in Louisville at a real good church. Um, he also does real estate on the side and buying properties and renting, and I can't even keep up with all that they do. But loves the Lord, loves to worship. He did a night of worship in in a needy area on Thursday night. What's neat is I get to go home and I'll pull up what they did and sometimes he's preaching at the church and so he had a call of God. We nearly lost Andrew when he was 21. He all of a sudden, healthy as could be, got cancer. We had a whole year of chemo, radiation. He was a strong guy, went down to little nothing. He lived, he lost his hair, never came back. But he loves God and doing awesome. So bring up their three. They're their three. They're a hoot. They're a fun. Matter of fact, they came Friday and spent the night with us and so forth. Aria, uh, Adrian, I didn't mention this. Her, her dad is American. Her mother is uh, Hawaiian. So that's why the beautiful complexion that she's, she is. So Cohen is the oldest. And then Declan. Declan means man of prayer. That's what his name means. And this is Aria Marie Alohahani, that's her uh, next name, because every Hawaiian girl in her family has a Hawaiian name in their name. And it means something with prayer, so I can't remember what it means. So that's, there's our oldest, there's Adam. Okay, bring up a little Joe. Next one. This is Jonathan and his wife, Jasmine. Okay, this is our strong will kid. <laughs> Anybody? Okay. 
He didn't sleep for the first two years of his life. <laughs> Seriously. Just strong will. And I'll use an illustration a little bit. Do you want to know the first complete sentence he ever said? He, he wouldn't sleep, and there was a storm. This is when we lived in Louisiana. And so my schedule was very full. I'm, I'm at a large church as an associate pastor. So he's crying. Jeanette gets up, takes him to the bedroom with his little sippy cup. About, I don't know, when the kid starts speaking full sentences, a little bit under two probably. So she puts him in the bed with her. She'd be almost asleep, and he'd go, Mama, Mama, bottle, bottle. And she'd say, you reach for it. It's right there. Your sippy cup is right there. She'd almost be back to sleep. Mama, he'd do the same. He's, he's wanting her to do it. And she said, Jonathan, you reach for it. Here's his first sentence. Mama, stop yelling in my ear. She said, oh, no, it's just me and the devil up in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I can't tell you, uh, I'm going to help you with a strong-willed child some things because maybe one of you will have one of those, okay? But there are things that we knew we had to do in his development so that he would serve the Lord because he ended up, I mean, in college and playing soccer, then going in the military and doing rescue stuff. It's just that strong-willed personality. So he pastors in Bowling Green. He's also a fireman. He loves it. The more difficult, uh, strong-willed, when the tornadoes hit in December, you know what they put him over? Search and rescue and putting body parts back together. I called him and said, Sonny, you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I said, well, do you need to talk to anybody? Well, probably some of the people do. I'm, I'm fine. I mean, that's a strong-willed kid. That, that, that's what they do. But here they were getting ready for a wedding rehearsal. Jasmine's cousin, whose father, I forget what all he owns in California, but stuff with Netflix and all that. And the, the wedding was down at, is it Blackberry Farm in Tennessee? It's a, it's a famous farm. So they're getting ready for it, and Martha Stewart shows up to cover the wedding and put it in her magazine. So they're, they're in that magazine. All right, so that's little Joe, strong wheel. Now I want you to bring up Hoss. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, they're children. I'm sorry, next one, children. That's their three. Look at that. Isn't that great? They're, they're precious. The little one smiles constantly. The little girl has Jonathan's personality. Their cat got run over um, by the neighbor accidentally a few weeks ago. I mean, the neighbor was horrified. So they came to the house last week, and Jonathan goes, ask Everest about the cat. I said, no, I mean, that'll upset No, just ask her. Everest, what happened to your cat? She got crushed. <laughs> I went, uh-oh. <laughs> Round two, Jonathan, here you go. All right, bring up the last one. There's Hoss. <laughs> None of my kids look alike, right? Same mom and dad. That's Michael and his wife, Alyssa. Michael is extremely, extremely dyslexic. I meant off the chart. Maybe some of you know of, uh, is it Hyman over that works with children? My wife got certified in that. Yet we raised him to be secure in his identity. Now, he can read anything you put in front of him. He just, it doesn't go in here it doesn't make pictures. So the way he learns it has to be vocal. And his class at the Christian school was so smart. I meant just off the chart, and then there's Michael. And I said, Michael, now these kids are really, Dad, look, I know who I am. They can't get out of the rain. They need me to help them, you know. And, <laughs> and so he ended up helping all of those that were smart that have gone on and done this. But he knew who he was in the Lord. We made sure that identity was secure. He's made it through college. It took six years, but he wanted to do it. And now he's a youth pastor and worship leader at church. And his wife, believe it or not, she's going to be a doctor. I said, Michael, of all people, your wife's going to be a doctor. <laughs> Man. Okay, bring up their little guy. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, so there's the fan. I want you to know... We're legitimate people, normal people. I tell my kids, you all married over your pedigree. You did great. 
and they did. Now, here we go. Got your notes? Man, I've talked too long already. Let's jump into this. Number one, you do not possess all the wisdom in yourself. It's a tragedy to raise your children with just your own ability and your own understanding. You have two pages. You should have two pages there in front of you, okay? Look at the one that says from tire to wired. And I believe there are people in this room with wisdom and experience each family can glean from, okay? All of us. Now get more detailed in a minute. Just say help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Some parents smother their child like they have all the insight, and I lovingly want to tell you, you don't. We didn't. We did not have all the insight. There's a phrase, it's not original with me, maybe some of you will know who said it, and this lady said it takes a village to raise a child, and I agree. You just need to pick the right village. It's called the body of Christ. It's called godly friends. You need wisdom to include those people. Never be afraid or prideful to ask for help. Number two, establish your authority from birth. Now, just things that we learn, people taught us. Why is this important? This is a foundational truth for your child to know how to relate to God. I know when they're first born, and they are the cute little bundle, and they are. <laughs> I love it. I mean, we were up here, one little baby, probably about four or five months, cute as can be. And they're, they're cooing at you, and it's fabulous. You just can't imagine anything but heaven with that child. You just can't believe what happens by age two. Help me, somebody. <laughs> what, what is one of the first words they learn to say? No. And the next one is mine. <laughs> Right? Oh, my goodness. From the earliest memories, your child should respect your authority. Little Johnny does not call the shots. And if you allow that, you're, you're raising an unruly vine, okay? Strong-willed. I, I talked about Jonathan and the things with, with his nature. Remember the story about Jack and the beanstalk? Remember that? He goes into town and, and trades his cow for some magical beans, goes home. I guess the dad or mom, whoever so mad at him, threw him out the window, goes to sleep, and the next day, it's this huge vine all the way up in the sky. Remember the story? So if you miss this one about establishing your authority, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to have a big unruly vine in your house called your child because you did not establish your authority. Get this one first. You should be the most respected person in that child's life. You should be. Just your countenance of disfavor, maybe the way you raise your eyebrow, causes them to stop their maneuver, <laughs> or whatever they're doing, and get themselves back in line. Establish your authority. You want that child to get this, so when it's an adult, God is an unquestionable authority in their life. So there's a reason for this. Number three, understand your child's temperament. Children have different temperaments, just like adults do, which means different types of input for raising children. Now, something we do, we do it at church. It's great for marriages. It's called the DISC profile. There's other type of personality tests. I've had people say, well, that in Scripture, listen, that's ignorance if you don't want to understand how God created you. Because you are created a certain way. And once you understand how you're created and your wife understands how she's created, you can relate to one another and you can help, you can begin to identify things that God has done in your children and he's placed in them. So my wife and I, this helped us tremendously to understand each other even more and then identify traits in our children to speak life to that. It's not plugging them in something bad. It's helping to increase the things that are good. There's all kind of different ones. There's even ones for children. But you, you need to understand yourself so you can understand children or grandchildren or people you're mentoring or ones you're teaching here in the body of Christ. It's so, so crucial. So understand that. 
if you understand your child and how God made them, it helps you raise the child according, listen, according to their need and not what you want. I've seen parents put a false identity on children trying to make them become what they didn't become. I wanted my children to become what God wanted them to become. I, you know, I, I turned our church over to spiritual son is doing great. I didn't know if one of my children maybe would have been the one. But I raised them to hear the voice of God. And they all came to me one by one. Dad, this is home. We love it. But I know God is calling me way over there. I go, praise God. That's what we want. I mean, he could have called them to Africa. Man, that would be real hard to go there on the weekend, okay? So... We wanted them to become what God wanted, so we needed to understand how God made them, and you need to as well. If you understand your child and how God has made them, it helps you raise them that way. Um, it's so crucial. I, I can't explain it. I know when uh, we had our firstborn, Andrew, made delivery, and um, he was in intensive care for a while, and he wasn't able to nurse, and my wife was determined she was going to because I had bad allergies growing up. And the nurse looked at Jeanette and said, you will do what's right for this child, not what you want. And Jeanette said, you know what? You're right, and I need to remember that. I said, that's a good lesson for her. You will do what's right for the child, not just what you want. Now, doing what's right for the child takes input from God Almighty, from the Word, mentors and so forth so it's done properly amen? amen everybody say i'm gonna do what's right and so we had to really hear the voice of god we homeschooled we have christian school i mean i started a christian school okay and we public school we did all three according to what each child needed at the right time now, they didn't all go to public school, but the strong-willed child needed that experience. And we knew at the right time with mentors and so forth when we, he needed to do that. And I had people in the church, you, well, you started this school and you're sending your kid, but yes, because it's my kid and I want them serving God and I know this is the right step. Hello? Of course, we walked real close and, and he was serving the Lord. He had fun he led more kids to the lord he helped kids get scholarship that wouldn't have been able to go to school he'd take them into the library at break and he'd find kids that didn't have any money you want to go to college come on let's find your scholarship he helped he had more fun because we trusted him we had him on a rope but we knew he needed that experience which helped him know who he was in god to find the purpose of god serve god and marry well you, do, you don't just make decisions based on what you want. What does God say? What are mentors telling you? Everybody still like me okay? You're with me? Okay. Number four, have mentors in your life. We connected to couples we loved and respected who were five to ten years further along and allowed them to mentor us when we had questions or concerns, especially when we understood our child's personality we allow those people who had a child with that personality tell us what to do or give us insight to pray over. And that's the importance of the body of Christ and church family. You've got so many examples here. Many of you have raised children already or you're in the process and someone's just a little bit further along than you and maybe that child has a similar personality. It was good. Now, the church is not here to raise your children, and everybody says, that's your responsibility. They're here to partner with you and assist you in what you're already doing. So they're not here to take your place. They're here to assist you. Number five, place the most emphasis on character, values, and identity. I, I, I need a month to talk about identity. Don't have it. Character, to scratch or engrave on. Your child will become what she or, he, he, she or he hears over and over, what they see you doing over and over. Don't, don't say, do as I say, not as I do. They need to see you do as you say you do. 
Get that? Your actions and your words are forming that little character. The media and liberal education has pumped this generation with tolerance, acceptance, and celebration of things contrary to the Word of God. So if you're not reinforcing character, values, and identity, all that out there will shape your child. I have one man show up at my house and... My child, do, 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 do. I said, I, I wanted to say I didn't. I said, well, I felt like saying 10 years ago I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't stay consistent in the house of God. Your pleasures are more important. You didn't have your child in youth group. This is your unruly vine. I can't fix it. So it's very important you help develop character, values, and identity. If a child can witness moral excellence and virtues of strength through your life and teachers and classes you have here at church and so forth, just intentional interaction, mission trips, activities, all that stuff becomes a line upon line, layer upon layer. So when the devil shows up, they have enough history in the things of God and the character of God, they're able to say, no. Because the devil is after our kids. Values, that's the principles to which you assign worth. If you want to know what your values are, get into a crisis. Any crisis reveals your values. Your children see you respond and who your true source of strength is. I think, I think COVID helped children see the values of their parents. Very real disease. I get it. If you had... Compromised health conditions, I get it. But we don't need to live in fear and be bound by something that our children gravitate to that fear and that become their identity. Are you with me? Everybody there? Okay. As a whole, listen, Americans do not assign worth to these qualities. Americans are interested in, in academics, sports, and pleasures academics, sports, and pleasures. I never put pressure on my children to make straight A's, thank God, because none of them did. <laughs> I wanted them to learn, but I wanted them to learn life and everything involved in life so they could become a leader. Most leaders or business owners were never A students. They were C students. Did you know that? Most millionaires were C students. Now, I'd rather my kid have a B than a C, but if it's killing me and killing them, if C is what they're getting, let's celebrate if they've applied themselves. Just trying to help somebody here today. Okay, there's a door and I can run out in a little bit. Here we go. <laughs> a value I had that I wanted to transfer to my children was world missions. I'm just talking about a value I had. I'm not saying you do that. You determine your values. So I made a determination when mine turned 13 I would take them out of the country somewhere, generally with other people from the church. And not only that, of course, I had boys. I said, you're going to help earn the money for the trip. You're going to work. And, of course, we have the church and a lot of property. I'd let them mow and so forth. They also worked uh, for other people, did things. My youngest son, Michael, he's an entrepreneur. He says, I'm going to start a business. He did at 13. I gave him a push mower. He went from a push mower to a riding mower to weed eaters to a trailer to a truck. And he's 15 years old and he can't even drive the truck. <laughs> and he bought one. So that value, taking him on a mission trip and earning money, he, I, he started a business. Because I've taught mine, hey, you've got to work, you've got to earn. And we're going to go on a mission trip. My oldest son, Andrew, that you saw, uh, he has an ongoing work in Uganda, and he takes his children. They go. They get in the dirt and play with all the kids. I think Cohen, the oldest, would rather live in Uganda than America. I'm thrilled about that. Why? Because the values of God are growing in their heart. So we want to see young people grow up and ladies be young ladies of worth. 
and men be men of value, moral people, good citizens, hard workers, time managers. So let's put value on the things that are important for our children's development. Your children will remember what you value when no one is looking. Come on. Don't merely say value, show them. Another value I have now as a grandparent. See, because I have values now from my grandchildren. I have told my sons that have daughters, because I just raised boys, I said, when my granddaughters turn eight years old, I'm going to start dating them. I said, I'm going to get all dressed up. I'm going to get them the, the little flower, what do you call it, nosegay with, that they put on their wrist with the little, get it all, it, what is it called? Corsage, thank you. <laughs> you can tell I'm a guy. Get all dressed, I have, have little gifts. I'm going to pick them up, clean the car. We'll take them to a, I'll, I'll take them to a nice restaurant, age appropriate for them. Open doors, close doors. If there's anybody that plays music or whatever, I'm asking them to come to the table. I'm going to date them every year. And I'm going to say, this is how a man needs to treat you that your daddy approves of, that only your daddy approves of. This is why you keep yourself like a little lady. So I'm going to be dating my granddaughters, and they know it. They're excited. I've told them, I said, Papa's going to date you, and we're going to have a good time. <laughs> I never told my children who to date or court, okay? I taught them on values and how to examine value in their selection. So I told them this. Okay, hear me if you have boys. I said, do not marry a spoiled girl. Now, and hear me on this. <laughs> Jacob wrestled with the angel and, and walked with a limp. Remember that in the Old Testament? Saw God. I said, it's okay to marry a girl that has a limp. By that, they haven't had life with a silver spoon, but they've had to make choices in hard situations. All three of my beautiful daughter-in-laws had horrendous upbringings. Adrian, the oldest, with Andrew, all kind of family dysfunction. Jasmine, that married the strong-willed, her parents still aren't saved. They're divorced, this, that, and the other. When she was 10 years old, somehow she knew she needed the Lord. And she began to church by herself when she was 10 years old. Uh, and when he told me a story, I said, Jonathan, that sounds like somebody to marry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, his wife, my goodness, the things that she went through growing up, nearly killed in a car wreck and this and the other, I said, she understands what's important. So that's how, what you tell a son. If you have daughters, this is what you need to tell them. Are you ready? Marry a response. Now, of course, Christian, we, we, Okay, loves the Lord, Spearfield, we got that, all right? Someone who's responsible, respectful, and a hard worker. Responsible. Hey, where do you want to be growing? No, just say, go away, go away. <laughs> responsible, respectful, looks you in the eye, hard worker. That's who you want your daughter to marry. Character and virtuous values take time to develop, so model them well. And listen, their identity, it's only discovered in the Lord. Only discovered in the Lord. Appropriate Bible reading stories and prayer times and so forth. Now look, I don't know what you do. I just brought different, you can't have any of this or I'm in trouble. I'm bringing it back home. But, <laughs> you know, when they're little, Bible story books. And don't just read it. When Isaac grew up. He had two sons. You better be animated. You got to bring it to life. It doesn't be long and complicated. Then my kids, they got a little bit older. They look, look I've, we've worn this one out. I use the binding as the bookmarker. Things with pictures, okay? There's all kind of sources out there for you to glean from. You just got to research. And then as they got a little bit older and they're reading on their own, this was one that they used. It's falling apart. Jonathan used this one. This is a strong-willed boy. He's got things marked all over it because he was nurturing himself. Um, intentional. 
You're tired. <laughs> I didn't always want to. We didn't make it every night. Sometimes I'm gone or this, but when we could, we would do that. And then teaching them to pray. Letting them pray out loud. Michael's probably about four. That's the youngest. So we had a little devotion. His brothers are older. Michael, you're going to pray. Okay, Daddy. So we join hands. <laughs> and, and, and whatever they pray, we're supposed to repeat. He goes, Jesus, Jesus. And he goes, Jesus. You know, does, does that about ten times with all kind of different inflections. So we're mimicking it. And then he goes, help, amen. And I go, well, that covered it all. <laughs> Have fun with him. Come on. Still with me? Limit the rules, number six. I've seen some homes' rule books are thicker than a New York City phone book. Okay? This glass has to go just right. You put the can label in the cupboard and the label's not sticking out. The socks go here and do, 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 do. Now, I'm fairly neat. None of my kids were. None of them. They are now. It's amazing, okay? I mean, it's like they walk in the house after school, they hit a button, and phew, everything goes everywhere. <laughs> Shoes and so forth. Andrew, he's 6'5". He has a 14-foot, 14 size, excuse me, <laughs> not 14 feet. Michael is 6'4". He has a 14 shoe. Jonathan, the cute little one, he's 5'11". I said, sorry, son, you didn't get our height. <laughs> and I mean, just stuff everywhere. So we had to make a decision. Are we going to continually war about the house being perfect or think about other things? So we purposely thought about other things. Now, when it got bad, when you couldn't get in the door, we said, okay, it's time. You've got to clean up. But limit the rules. Remember, every rule you make, you have to police. Think about it. How about the simple rule? If you take it out, put it back up. And when one rule is mastered, then another one. God used this principle in his word. Have you ever read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Law upon law upon law, help us, Lord. But God was so good for simple people like me, he narrowed it down to ten, right? Ten commandments. And Jesus even did it better in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as? Thank you. Number seven, disciple because of the what, not the why. When you have disobeyed, lied, something that required a discipline, why is important after the what, so you can see the motive, but discipline for the what. What did you do wrong? And that causes them to vocalize the trespass that they perform. Are you with me? What did you do? Now, you can only do that if you've instructed them what they're to do. What did you do wrong? Okay. Number eight, discipline. Can I just say, help me, Lord. Hope you love me. Just simple spanking, corporal spanking, only for rebellion and stubbornness. And by spanking, hear me. I'm not talking about hog killing. You hear me? They have places for parents like that. Use a small object, a paddle. Use it on, your fir on yourself first to try it out. Now, Michael our youngest, because when we moved to Kentucky, we had no family. One older couple, they were so great, they became surrogate grandparents, and uh, all, he, he was a policeman and so forth, so, you know, he's got military background, and he watched Michael a lot, and it was some service we were doing. Michael's probably about two, and he was being disobedient and real rowdy and so forth, and Daryl said, Michael, behave, son, or I'm going to spank you. Michael looked around, went over to his diaper bag, pulled out the wooden spoon, he spanked himself, <laughs> put it back in, went over to Papa Daryl, sat in his lap, and was good. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> uh, you spank to reach repentance and brokenness. Break the will, not the spirit. Okay, don't spank a child in public. You will embarrass them. They won't focus on what's happening, but rather the people who are watching. Use an instrument. The Bible calls it a rod. Your hand is for loving. Look at your hand. That's for loving, not spanking. 
use a particular location. Mine was my study in my house. When I said, go to the study, then you Armageddon has arrived, okay? <laughs> and look, I make it sound like this was a daily occurrence. It wasn't. It wasn't often, but it did happen. And they knew it would happen. Again, ask, what did you do wrong? Don't ask why. That invites them to shift blame, lie, blame their brother, sister, whoever. What isolates what they need to repent of? If not, the whole thing is just an ordeal they're trying to survive. Always be in control emotionally, parent. This is where the world gets into abuse. They're not correcting, they're abusing. And I call that a very weak parent. Wrong parenting. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your child while there's still hope. Spare not because of his crying. <laughs> then apply the Board of Education, the seat of higher learning. Discipline takes time. Then hear me. This, you're not finished at that point. Once the spanking and the crying and all that, put them in your lap. You love, you embrace, you rock. I, I had a rocking chair. I'd just rock them for a while. And I'd say, Daddy loves you. That's why he spanks. Bible says in Hebrews that the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastens those who are his sons. Did you know that some people never, some children never, ever get a spanking? But daddy loves you. Then they leave the room secure. Well, Mark, that sounds like a lot of work. Yep. That's going to take time. Yep. But if you don't do it that way, it's just venting your anger and frustration at the moment. And remember, children and children are going to get distracted, rambunctious, break things, forgetful. You don't spank for that. They're going to be a kid. I'm talking about, sure enough, lying, disobedience, and rebellion. Number nine, train your children or child to develop inner restraints. We have policemen and penitentiaries for people who cannot control themselves. Teach our children to be able to control themselves from within. Fruit of the Spirit. I love it. Galatians 5. You got love is the first one. Self-control, the last one. Everything is sandwiched in between. Read it. Develop it. So we're teaching our children a spiritual principle of controlling themselves. Number 10. I told you, a fire hydrant. We're coming at you. Teach children to deny themselves. It doesn't sound too American, but this teaches contentment. If they do not learn contentment, their appetites will rule. If they get everything they want immediately, they'll want that as adults as well and get into a lot of debt. Are you hearing me? Now, I taught mine when they were little, the 10-10-80 principle. And we did that with their dollars and nickels and quarters. You tithe 10%. Mine started tithing as a child. You're going to save 10%, and you get to spend the other 80%. It took time. It took effort. I had to sometimes go to the bank and get their money and break it so, so they could see what was going in savings and their tithe, and I'd help them fill out their little envelope at church. But if they don't learn to tithe the nickels in their quarters when they're making their thousands, they're not going to tithe, and they won't have the blessing of God on their life. It's quiet in here. I'll move on. Here we go. <laughs> Look, even on this point, I taught mine, you're going to pay for your first vehicle and I'll cover insurance. And so they worked in this and we, you know, just teaching them principles. Number 11, follow the progression of master, guide, then friend. Do not try to be a friend with your child. Oh, brother Mark, that doesn't sound like fun. What are you talking about? Hear me out. First, you are a master in their life. I mean, you're doing everything, guiding every choice. Then you're a guide. That's the transition time. Such a critical time for communication and involvement. They're making some decisions. They're making good decisions, like we did with Jonathan. We knew he needed to go to public school because all his friends in Christian school had graduated, and he needed that opportunity to play soccer, and he wanted to be a witness, and we had... so. A transition, okay, we're going to let you do it, but we got you on a rope. We're, we're giving you slack. But he knew if he got out of line, we would 
ring, ring him right back. Are you with me? And then we can be friends in adulthood. My dad and mom modeled this so great. It, when Jeanette and I first got married, if we wanted to have fun, we did it with my mom and dad. We laughed, we cut up, we jo- I mean, just, we had a blast. So they were great examples for me to glean from. My, wife, uh, my mom became my wife's mentor and best friend. Okay? And actually now my daughter-in-laws, they look to my wife really as their mother. Now, my wife doesn't try to take their mother's spot, but they talk to her daily. Questions, something great to talk about and laugh about. And so she, careful with that, she doesn't try to replace their mom, but they, they, they call her mom. I mean, it's just, that's their mom. My wife and I don't get involved in manipulating with our adult kids or trying to live our dream through them. We would only step in if we saw them falling over a cliff are making a terrible decision. And even then, we would just talk. We couldn't force them to do something. Now with adult kids, grandkids, we make our home fun. Oh, my goodness. The grandkids love to come to Papa and Grammy's house. They're going to have food. We're going to have little gifts. We're going to play. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's exhausting, but it's worth it. Okay? So small children need a master until they learn to control themselves. You must. In time, you become a guide. If good, good decisions and choices are made, you affirm that. As young adults, you've got to begin to let them go, right? Okay. And if you gain them as friends, they'll come to you and tell you what's going on in their lives. They'll ask for advice. They'll then include you in their life. This will develop lifelong friendship of respect and loving care. You're the master only for a few years. You're the guide for only a few years. Hopefully, you'll be friends for the long haul of life. And what wonderful friends children can be. Our oldest son, Andrew, because he's the firstborn, he has that protective thing in him. He calls us almost daily. Are y'all okay? Fine. We're fine, Andrew. Sure. I had a project I needed to do in my house. It was going to require me to get on the roof. He found out about it. Don't you get on that roof. I'm, I'm going to come do it. I said, I can tend to. And I'm going to do it. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. You know? <laughs> so he came and did it, just protective. Look, Jesus worked with his disciples. He helped them, formed them. But at the end of this ministry, he said, I call you friend. So you're their master, then the guide, giving rope, and then friend. Number 12, we'll go fast. When wrong, ask for forgiveness as a parent. This actually helps establish your authority. And authority is born out of humility, not pride. Kind of like when a man yells at his wife, submit, I'm looking at a man who's not the head of his house. When you're wrong, admit it. 13, teach your children to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Big difference. Peacekeeper, it's all external. A peacemaker, it starts from within. Internal overcomes external. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. And so a peacemaker will deal with issues. I have watched through the years, sometimes the compliant, quiet child is the one that rebels down the road. They've kept everything in. But the child who talks and so forth, you can help them make peace. Get it? Peacemaker, not peacekeeper. 14, make home a fun place. I said a fun place, especially when your children are teenagers. Our kids knew they could bring kids home. If they were at my house, I could monitor what was going on. I could see. We bought the cheapest box pizzas and just kept them in the freezer. She would buy the cheapest brownie mix and have them ready to whip up brownies. Basketball goal outside. Creek behind the house. We had a lot of fishing poles. I bought a used pool table. It's in the basement. Kids love to come to our house with our kids. It was exhausting. But we said, yeah, come on. We knew what was going on. And then my kids would use that as a time to mentor to children. Make 
your house fun. Look, they'll be grown and gone. You'll have your time then. But when they're teenagers, they need to want to be at your house, not be at someone else's house. Just, just food for thought. Everybody say good preaching. <laughs> Fifteen. Be sensitive to what the Lord is doing in your child and celebrate. Anything wholesome, you better be connected. A sport, an instrument, helping others. My pastor, Larry Stockstill, you know him. He had six kids. He was busy. He goofed up with this with one of his kids. He tells it publicly. One of his children was interested in a sport, activity he could care less about. And he told his son, look, I, I don't like that. Do it with your friends. Well, he did it with his friends who got into the crowd who ended up getting into some drugs, and the boy got arrested. And he said, man, he learned his lesson. Of course, he didn't rescue the boy from jail and made him go to a rehabilitation place and so forth. Now it's a great relationship. But if your child is interested in something that's wholesome, a sport, an instrument, Hopefully, everything in the church, you better be connected to it. Amen? Last one here. <clears throat> I am so sorry. Look at this time. Brother Clayton, forgive me. I'm going over. Okay. When they want to talk, you better stop and listen. Now, this is when they're becoming teenagers. Now, when boys are little, it's noises. Bang, bang, boom, boom. <laughs> Girls start talking in sentences when they're six weeks old, okay? You know, so <laughs> I'm learning that with granddaughters. Uh, but there comes a point, there's not a magical age where just suddenly, boom, they stop talking. How many know what I'm talking about if you raise kids? So suddenly they'll come in at the most inconvenient time. You're asleep in bed, and they plop on the bed. Boom, what do you do? You better stop and listen. My wife and I hardly ever watch a movie, not that we're against every movie, we just don't have time. But I remember this was years ago, again, our strong-willed child, he's a teenager, probably about 17, and several people in church, oh, you got to watch this movie, you got to watch this movie. So that's back when you had to rent them from Blockbuster, okay? So we rent the movie, all the kids were gone, so we're watching the movie. Ten minutes left in the movie. Ten minutes. And Jonathan came in, stood between the TVs behind us, looking at us. And I looked at my wife and I said, click. We turned it off. And it was something he was dealing with with a friend. And if we hadn't have done that, I don't know what his destiny might have been. Okay. You've got to be ready to listen when they talk and just stop and pay attention. Wow. Don't tell them, hey, can we do this tomorrow? You wake up the next day, hey, what did you want to talk about last night? Never mind. It's fine. Yeah, but it was something on your heart. Oh, I'm okay now. You just blew it. The window is closed. The window is closed. We won't go over it because I've talked too much, but I gave you some nuggets of truth. Wow. Any questions I want you to ask me afterwards? Main thing I'll say is pass your test as a parent. Your tests are never about you. They're about your seed. So if you don't overcome offense, if you don't overcome whatever it is, you're teaching your children not to overcome. I've watched families through the years get offended by a business partner or this and crash and burn and be mad at God or whatever it was, and their children carried that offense, not serving God today. Don't let your children quit on a commitment. Don't do it. I told mine, you start something, you've got to finish this season, you don't have to do it next time, but you're not going to quit. Not going to quit. I hope I'm helping someone today. I'm just looking at it. Uh-oh, second page. This is what we chose, only one TV in our house out in a public area. You're setting your child up 
for complete failure by putting TVs in their bedrooms. I love you. I'm just trying to help you. You can't monitor what they watch. One TV in an open place. Now, even my grandkids, they have iPads. Well, my kids set time limits, and they put the programs on there, and it's used as a reward system. It can be on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then it automatically turns off. Wow, I wish I'd have had that when they were little. Don't, don't force extracurricular upon your child if they're not connecting to it. I regret, if I can use that word, I had opportunity to learn instruments growing up, and I didn't because none of my friends played anything. I regret that because I love to worship. I'd love to be able to play an instrument in worship. So I tried to get my children to learn instruments when they were little. Piano for one, guitar for the other. They despised it. Nearly killed me. And I said, well, once this semester's over, we're dropping that. And then as teenagers, they say, well, I want to learn this. I said, great, figure it out. Go do it. So now this one is a worship leader. He plays awesome guitar. The second one, Jonathan, plays bass and drums. Andrew plays drums as well. Michael leads with a guitar and keyboard, and they learn this all on their own or with their friends. But I was trying to force something too soon. Don't do that. Some people with the extracurricular studies, and they miss being a teenager in a healthy way, and it just, they're only a child once. Wow. I've said enough. Last thing. This is only if your children have the insight of where they're going, what they want to be and do. Andrew knew as a teenager he was calling to ministry. Jonathan was determining that. It wasn't us forcing that. So when Andrew was a senior, Jonathan would have been a freshman. I said, we're going to take time in our family time. We're going to write a family mission statement. It took months to get it down. Months. We came up with eight words. Love, support, protect, nurture, embrace, minister, sacrifice, and transfer. Love, unconditionally love. Support, support each other. Don't fight with your brother. Support in reaching their full potential. Protect, let's protect one another by prayer and serving. Nurture, let's nurture an atmosphere of safety and rest. I want home to be a restful place. Embrace, embrace the call of God on our family because we have a call. Minister, minister the life of God to every person we touch. Sacrifice, live sacrificially to influence in the home, church, community, and world. Transfer, let's transfer principles of godly character and purpose to family and to those who are following. And I'm just honored to say my kids are doing all this right now. Again, we're not clever. We were just hard enough to stay great, hard enough in our thinking to stay grateful, teachable, approachable, acknowledgeable where we were lacking, get resources in our life, love the Lord, forgive quickly, trust Him, and you can do it. I said, you can do it.